Good morning. It's good to be back with you. I, uh, man, kind of a rough couple weeks here. I, uh, last week, I don't know if you've ever had hives, um, but I took some medicine and got hives all over my body. Um, I have photographs. No, I don't have photographs. <laughs> you know what they look like. It's gross, right? Um, so my body still looks gross, but there's no hives. So that's it's just part of being old people. Young people are like, it's never going to happen to me. It is. It's, it's going to happen. Um, it's good to see you. Love you guys. Let's pray as we get started. Father, I pray that as we open your word, we'd know you more. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just draw us to you. For those in this room uh, who just need to turn a new leaf with you, move forward with you, I pray you would draw them this morning. Speak to their heart. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray you would draw them to yourself, Lord, the only one who can save. Jesus, we love you, Lord. In your name, amen. I want you to imagine that you've been caught. You've been caught. You've done something wrong. Just try to imagine. <laughs> something you were hoping no one would find out about. Now, if you've had this happen to you, uh, either as a young person or an older person or like me, both, um, you might recognize sort of the way this situation usually goes. The way it usually goes, it's got two steps. Okay, the first step is the person accused, we'll call them the defendant, starts with excuses. In the law, we call these excuses affirmative defenses. So you can learn, you've learned that now, next time you get arrested, um, you want to just ask, what are my affirmative defenses? That's what you need to know. Uh, an affirmative defense usually involves the defendant admitting that they committed the crime, right? They admit that they did the thing, but... The defendant claims there's some kind of excuse that justifies them committing the crime. Uh, as an example, let's say a person walks into a house at night, um, and it's not their house, and they open the door, and they go inside, and they take an umbrella, because it's raining, close the door, and they walk out. Now, in most states, that would be called burglary, okay? It'd be called burglary because you went into the home of another person in order to commit a crime, in this case, theft or larceny, if you're, we want to get crazy, um, and, and so therefore, burglary. But what, what if the person says, what if she says, uh, I thought it was my house. I thought it was, it was my house. I, I didn't know it was somebody else. It was really dark. In that case, that would be an affirmative defense called mistake of fact. You guys are like, what is he talking about? Listen, it's okay. We're going to get somewhere with all this. Mistake of fact. And so if she didn't know that it was somebody else's house, then the elements of that crime that says you had to intentionally go into the house of another person couldn't be satisfied. The person might go free even though they actually committed a crime. Uh, there are a lot of affirmative defenses out there. Go figure that humans have come up with a lot of these. Um, in civil law, in criminal law, you've got contributory or comparative negligence, which is like, if, you know, if I did something wrong, you did something wrong too. Uh, you've probably seen that one. Unclean hands, uh, saying the other person did something bad, and therefore you shouldn't be held accountable. Insanity, intoxication, mistake of law, on and on and on. In, in, in every case, or most of these cases, the person's admitting they did the thing. They're just claiming to have an excuse. Now, that may all seem sort of like complicated legal stuff. But it's actually not. It's actually very, very everyday normal stuff that you hear from your friends and your family and your neighbors, and especially your kids. Imagine this scenario. Charlie, did you eat the cookie? No, Dad, I didn't eat the cookie. Well, Charlie, you have chocolate chips all over your face. I'm going to ask you again, did you eat the cookie? Okay, I did. 
And then Charlie runs into his affirmative defenses. Uh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. Or my brother Daniel took one too. Or I saw you having one, Dad. Or I thought it was the broccoli jar. I'm as surprised as you about this whole thing, right? These are Charlie's affirmative defenses. It's what we do. They're usually pretty weak. You may remember Adam's affirmative defense. Oh, the woman you gave me gave me this fruit. Okay, Adam. Good one. Good one. Hide behind your wife. Uh, that's his affirmative defense. I did it, but it's not really my fault. You gave me this woman, after all. <sighs> we try to justify ourselves. We make excuses. Now, the next thing we do after the excuses when they don't work, because they usually don't work, then comes what the Scripture calls the boasting. The boasting. Uh, in a criminal case, this usually happens after a defendant is convicted. Okay, that's when they, you know, have the sentencing phase and the, the defendant will bring these people in who will say, oh, no, he was a great guy. He, you know, he helped with a PTA bake sale. You know, he's nice to the widows and orphans, never kicked a dog, uh, gives lots of money to charities, uh, you know, hoping that if they say all these nice things, he'll get off the hook or just get a slap on the wrist or something like that. So the defense didn't work. So then it's all the good things I've done should keep me from having to suffer the consequences should justify me because, after all, I'm a pretty good guy. In both of these strategies, and these are the two strategies that we generally use, people try to justify their wrongdoing. It's these two strategies that we use to try to justify our sin. We try to use them with God. Now, we've been in the book of Romans for a while now, and for the last several studies, we have been going over what we've been calling the gospel argument. The gospel argument, and that really comes from about halfway through the first chapter, or at least what I'm calling it, through about the end of the eighth chapter. We have this gospel argument. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul the Apostle, sort of laying out the gospel in argument form. When I say argument, I don't mean like quarreling argument. I mean he's putting the points there. He's, he's using reason because he gave you a mind. A brain. So he wants you to actually understand it. Now, just take it. A lot of people blame Christians. They say, oh, you just take everything by blind faith. No, if that was true, we wouldn't need Romans 1.18 through 8.31 or whatever, where it's laying out just thing after thing after thing, therefore, so on. Here's, the, here's all the proofs. That's there because you have a brain. And God wants you to use it to understand the gospel. So in our last day, we read this. This is the uh, last section we went through. This is Romans 3, 21 through 26. Uh, there are Bibles in front of you. If you would like to use one of those, if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you. You don't owe us any money for it. We'll just send you a bill. No, we won't send you a bill. Don't worry about that. Uh, but you can follow along. It'll also be up on the screen. You can use your phone, whatever. But using, using a paper Bible, for those of you who bring those, is probably good because there's a lot of times where you might want to underline or circle, and I prefer you didn't do that in those Bibles. Uh, if you can help it, unless you're taking one home. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And we talked about what believe means. For there is no difference, okay, between Gentile, Jew, and so on. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes all of you. That includes me. That includes everyone who's ever lived except for Jesus Christ, okay? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, 
God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this is very powerful stuff. Reading this every day would not hurt you. It would be very good for you. God is the only one who can justify us. The only one who can justify us. Excuses, boasting, those don't work. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we will study later, Lord willing, uh, some weeks from now most likely, the only way, the only way to be saved from eternal death, from death and separation from God, because of the sin that we've committed is to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how it works. There isn't then after that another one. Or be pretty good and, you know, give to Easter seals or something like that, and you're going to be good. There's none of that. It's confess in your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's it. The righteousness of God is substituted for our sinfulness. It's substituted for our sinfulness. I said we have two strategies, trying to justify our sin with excuses and trying to save ourselves with boasting in our good works. Now, if you'll remember back, if you were here long enough, the first part of the gospel argument went right to sort of our affirmative defenses. Paul just comes up front with that because that's usually where people start. So in chapter 1 and 2, we studied first to the Gentiles and then to the Jews the idea that there are no affirmative defenses. There are no excuses. None at all. That they, that they knew God, the Gentiles and the Jews, that they knew it was right and that they both ignored what was right and did evil. To the Gentiles, I'm just going to read through some of this so you remember because you kind of need to understand how Paul has gone through this. He's gone through it in two steps, okay? This was the first one. This is to the Gentiles. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You have to understand this because you live in a world now and always have, but it's getting real bad now, where people who profess to be wise are actually spouting foolishness. And they're not just spouting foolishness like they used to. There are people from all aspects of, say, the political spectrum, way out there on the right, way out there on the left, way out there in crazy land, all those guys who are saying things that used to be crazy, who are now demanding that you agree with them or you are an enemy, an enemy of humanity, if you don't agree with the foolish things that those who profess to be wise say. We will not be overcome by that in the church because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the truth. But people have been. The end of that chapter, this starts at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all, and see if you fit into this category anywhere because I fit into it in a bunch of places. Unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
Evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. I think we're all in there somewhere. Some of us in a lot of places like me. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is to the Gentiles, but it's to people in general. That not only do we do these things, but we also approve of those who practice them. And more and more and more, you're being asked to approve of all kinds of practices, depending on who your friend group is or who you hang around or where you happen to be in the Twitterverse. You're being asked to approve all kinds of things. And then to the Jews, therefore you are inexcusable. Oh man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. This is coming right after what we just read. You practice the same things, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So Paul lays it out. You want to bring your affirmative defenses? You want to bring your excuses? Ah, cannot happen. You know what is right. You didn't do it. Both Gentile and Jew. Everyone stands before God a sinner. Everyone, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. These, these things that I just read, these are who you were if you're in Christ. Not who you are. But if you're not in Christ, these are who you are. This is how you're living now. Our affirmative defenses fall away before God. They're weak and worthless. We have no excuse. We cannot justify ourselves through excuses. And there's a reason why the Holy Spirit felt that was the first part of the gospel argument we needed to hear. So we wouldn't bother. We wouldn't bother with, I thought that was the broccoli jar. I didn't really know. Things are rough right now. Whatever happens to be, those excuses are out. And they've been taken out on purpose so that you can understand the power of the gospel. So we lost our excuses. We go to our next strategy. We start heaping up good works. Good works. This is literally the strategy of every religion in the world except for Christianity. Every religion in the world except for Christianity is about good works earning you justification or salvation. You can go look through it. I've done a lot of studying of religion. I was a philosophy major in college. A philosophy of religion was my sort of uh, track that I was on. Um, whether you're Jewish, as we'll see today, actually, Lord willing, or you follow Islam or Buddhism or Eastern religions or Mormonism or whatever, whatever religion, you will find a process where your works lead to salvation. And all these religions, they understand the brokenness of humanity. They admit that. They all recognize that things are not as they ought to be. That we've sinned, essentially. What we would call as Christians, sin. Although they understand it maybe differently. But the difference is in these other religions, it is your good works that get you back on track with God. Or get you to enlightenment or whatever that particular religion has. You cannot get there without doing stuff. Doing works. 
Christianity is, is different than every other religion in the world in that we do not believe that. We do not believe that. There is a prideful and persistent desire to want to be able to justify ourselves on our own steam, on our own merits. Okay, so I don't have an excuse, but look at this. Look, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Look at all my good stuff. Even some Christians get caught up in this. This is not something that, this is not Christian theology. It's not what the scripture says, but there are Christians who do it. There's a reason why there are a lot of people who look at Christianity from the outside and go, it looks like there's just like a lot of rules that you're supposed to follow to be a good person. Like this belief system is mostly about rules like, you know, don't touch that. Don't drink that. Don't say that. Don't watch that. And the more rules that you follow, the better Christian that you are. As if they think they're going to open up the Bible and the first thing it's going to say is, you know, cut your hair, you hippie. Like that that's, that that's what it's about, right? Which some of you, seriously, I don't, you know. It's not going to get you into heaven, but, you know, clean it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Look like you're doing good. Uh, anyway, the idea is if you follow enough rules and give enough of your time and your money and wear the right clothes and say the right things and have a little coffee mug with a Bible verse on it, then you get the moniker, good Christian. Oh, She's a good Christian. He's a good Christian. Why? Oh, because they follow the rules. That's not what the Bible says at all. You know what the Bible says? There are no good Christians. There is only a good Christ. There are no works that will save you. Only Jesus can save you. Romans now takes on strategy number two that we bring and burns to the ground the idea that being good can justify your sin. It can't. All right, I recommend having your Bible ready. We're going to get into some stuff. It's going to be a pretty long section of Scripture. Let's get it started. Romans 3, 27. This is where we're picking up from last time. Uh, through 28 is where we'll start. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, you wanted to be able to point to, I did these right things, therefore I should be right with God. And this is blown away. It's blown out. It's the main statement of this section of the scripture. And it starts with sort of a question and a therefore statement, right? Where is boasting then? Where is the place where you put down your resume of good works? How, what do you think about that, God? Check that out. Where do your works come in in terms of the way to salvation. They don't. They don't. The scripture says of boasting that it is excluded. That means you can't do it. You can't do it. Remember, the two strategies, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, because he's kind of working with both groups here. Remember, the church in Rome had, had both groups with different kinds of issues. But the two strategies of everyone on earth to be justified, whether that's justified to your parents when you get in trouble, to your husband or your wife when you do something you're not supposed to do, your boss, to whoever. When you get in trouble, the two strategies are excuses and then, but I'm a pretty good person. Those are the two strategies. If you believe in right and wrong, which everyone does whether they admit it or not, you know you've done wrong. If you know you've done wrong, these strategies come out without fail. That's how it works. First, the affirmative defenses and excuses. I had a hard life. Other people are mean to me. She made me do it. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it. And the scriptures took all those defenses away in the first two chapters. 
telling us without equivocation that you're without excuse. So then the resume comes out. The resume comes out. For the Gentile, hey, I never went to jail, and I paid my taxes, and I gave to the United Way every year when they came through the office. Gave them that money. For the Jew, it's I kept the law of the Old Testament. I'm circumcised. I followed the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, and I made the sacrifice, and I went to the feasts. So see, check this resume out. Aren't I good enough? Yeah, I know I did this, and I don't have an excuse, but look at all the good things that I've done. Haven't I made up for it? I did all the stuff. I checked all the boxes, and they think they should be saved from their sin for the sake of their own works. The scriptures make the point eminently clear in the book of Philippians, letter to the Philippian church, where Paul lays out his own resume. Listen to this. First he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil, that's not actual dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now the mutilation is these Judaizers who were Christians who wanted to make all the Gentiles follow all the Jewish laws. Particularly, the reason he uses the word mutilation is because he wants them to get circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask at home. Um, for, we, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. In other words, it's not about what happened in the flesh, cutting the flesh. It's about the spirit. Is your heart circumcised? Are you right before God? We worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No resume that we're looking to. We have no confidence in ourselves. Then he says this, though I might, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he lays out his resume. And to a Jewish person, it's like, ooh, dang. Ready? Circumcised the eighth day. That's the day it's supposed to happen. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. They were real serious about the law. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I was doing all of it. Even the little rules about the rules about the rules, I was doing all of it. You think you have a resume? I got a resume. But what things were gained to me, in other words, in front of his Jewish brothers and sisters, it's like, oh, look at Paul, blameless, a Hebrew among Hebrews. Those things were gained to him among the Hebrews. He says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All this stuff, his whole life up to meeting Jesus, trying to do the right thing, trying to earn his way, making that resume, he meets Jesus and it all falls away and it doesn't just fall away, it's garbage. It's garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, which isn't righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul does not bring out his resume to show that he's good. He brings out his resume to show people to stop looking at your resume and understand that it's grace that you need through faith in what Jesus has done for you. You cannot pay for sin with good works. The only payment for sin is death. 
And Jesus did that for us. It's what you need to understand. Paul doesn't follow rules to receive salvation. That's what other religions do. That's what the Jews were doing. Go, go to a mosque. See what they're doing. Okay, go to, it, go to the Mormon temple, see what they're doing. Look at the list and the checkboxes and the things they have to do. If I can do this, if I can do this, if I can do this, I can get this. That's not why Paul does what God wants him to do. Paul doesn't do it to receive salvation. All of that is rubbish. All of that is garbage. Paul wants to know Jesus more. He wants to be close to Jesus. He wants to have fellowship with Jesus even through suffering. It's not a contest to be a good Christian. It's a desire to serve the Lord. Make no mistake, Paul definitely was attempting to do what was moral and right. It's all about the motivation. If you're motivated by fear that you'll go to hell, fear that you won't be justified, then your life is about guilt and shame because you'll never live up to that. But if you're motivated by love for the one who loved you when you were like that, and died for you when you were like that, then your motivation to do what is good is because Jesus has commanded me to do this. He's my Lord. I want to do it for him because I love him. I will go so far to be close to him as to share in his sufferings, as to serve like him, as to put others before me because I love him so much because of what he's done. But that takes you understanding that you're out of excuses and you don't have a resume. You have to be there. Paul and every serious Christ follower wants to follow Jesus and do what he commanded because of the salvation they've already received, not in order to earn it. Think about that. The next time there's something God's commanded you in the scriptures and you go, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I'm scared if I don't do it that God's going to zap me with that lightning bolt. <laughs> right? There are those who see God up there like that. Like he's just like, oh, you did that? Listen, while it's true that there is punishment for sin, okay? Not lightning. I mean, there, some people get, I don't know if that has anything to do. There are people who get struck by lightning. I don't know. Um, that's a thing, I guess, but that's not what this is about. That's not what sin is about. Sin is uh, something that you should avoid. Sin will bring judgment, but that's not why we avoid sin. We avoid sin because we want to be close with the one who has saved us. Get this into your head. It's not about the guilt and the shame. Find the right motivation for doing what is right. Paul wants to do what's right because he wants to be close to Jesus. Now, sometimes I bet you Paul was in a spot where he's like, I don't know if I want to be close to Jesus as much as I want to do this thing. And then he's got to search his own heart and humble himself, right? That's where we all have to be. But the idea that we do it because if we don't do it, we're going to hell. No, no. If you're saved, you're saved. That's the whole point. You can't get there that way. That's just, frankly, pride, arrogance, and sinfulness. You can't go before God and read out your resume. There you stand in the judgment seat. And first you go, nope, wasn't my fault. Somebody else made me do it. I wasn't feeling good. You know, I, I, I was having a bad day. I was having a bad hair day. I was whatever. That's why I did these things. And the Lord just looks at you like, are you serious? And you go, okay, fine. Then here's my resume. Here's all the things that I did that were good. It, it literally makes me kind of sick to think about the idea that I would bring my resume to God. 
I got nothing. I got nothing in myself. The good that I am able to do, I'm able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives me even that. I've got no resume. I'm nothing without God. I cannot boast in myself. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There you go. Grace through faith. You didn't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to get it. I think there are people who sort of reject this and go, no, God, I can't. I'll show you. You think of Job like, well, come on, let's, let's have this conversation. I think I can show God why what's happening to me isn't fair. And God's like, oh, can you make trees? Oh, okay, then maybe you don't know everything. We do that sometimes. No, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then when other people come into the kingdom who are coming out of lifestyles of craziness, and we go, wow, why do they get to be saved? There are people who are in that mindset. You know what I say? I was worse than them, and he saved me because I know my own heart. It's not about your works. It's not about your works. The works that you do are works that God has set beforehand for you to do, that when you get saved, you do them because you love him. And you ought to do them. But when you get to heaven, I promise you, you won't be bringing that resume out. You will not be bringing that resume out. He will reward you for the good works that you do in him. But that's not about salvation. You're already saved at that point. There's no boasting. It is excluded. It is ridiculous. No religion of man that's based on doing good stuff can save you. No amount of religious work can save you. You can't do enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough to wipe away your sins or justify them. You have no excuse and you have no resume. So you got to give up your desire to be good enough because you're not and you never will be. But someone is. Jesus is. You got to give up your desire to justify yourself when you don't have excuses. You got to look to the cross of Christ and his resurrection. You got to believe in him and receive his free gift of salvation. You need grace. You need grace. That requires a certain level of you understanding who you are and who he is. A certain amount of you giving up the excuses, giving up the, but I'm better than my neighbor, aren't I? Probably not. God knows the heart. But it wouldn't matter if you were. You're not good enough because you're a sinner and you've fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that if you do not come to him and receive his grace, you will be separated from him. You will live essentially in eternal death away from the Lord. Let's study the rest of the point that the Holy Spirit teaches us in this section. We're going to kind of rock through this. Oh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Uh, 29 and 30. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What's he saying? There's no benefit to salvation for being a Jew or a Gentile. Now he's having to walk this through. Remember where the church is, right? You got these Jews that sort of became Christians. They started the church. Some Gentiles came into the church. The Jews were kicked out of Rome. And then the Gentiles sort of took over the church. And then the Jews came back. And the church had different music and stuff or whatever their, their issue was, right? And it was all different. And so he's having to work through it because Jewish people were like, okay, Gentiles are in, but aren't we really better? And he's like, uh, no, you're not. You're not. 
All of you will only be saved by faith. No one will be saved by anything but faith. All this works, all this stuff from sort of what the Jewish religion had become in the first century, do, 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 and then get salvation. That's all gone. You got to let that go. The circumcised, they're saved by faith. The uncircumcised, they're saved by faith. Christ had to die for all because all had sinned. All have sinned and fallen short. All deserve death. And Jesus died so that all who accept the grace of Jesus Christ will be raised from the dead as he was raised from the dead. You got to understand that. Not about Jew, not about Gentile. That's what he's telling them. Last verse in chapter 3. Do we then make void the law through faith? Well, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. It's a fair question. If the law doesn't get us there, then is the law just void? No. The opposite of that. The law shows you how much you need God. It's not void. It's the thing that's showing you where you stand so that you will come in humility for the grace of God. The law is not void. You just can't keep it. And it's the thing that teaches you that you need Jesus. The law shows us we need Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? So what are we going to say that Abraham did in terms of works? Because remember, their mindset is works, 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 earn salvation. So what did Abraham do? We say, for if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if he had worked... If he had worked for it, then God owed him to say he was righteous because he earned it. Not what happened. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Abraham believed in the hope that he had in God. This is where God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Abraham goes, I'm really old. And my wife, she's like 90. How many of you are 90? Anybody? No, you're not. You're like 18. Okay. How many of you are 80? Okay. Who wants to have a baby? <laughs> right? How many of you are the husband of somebody who's like over 70? Looking for kids? No. No. Right? So here's Abraham. God says, I'm going to give you a child. And he's like, uh, I'm not sure if you know how biology works right? That's not what he said, though. You know what he did? Praise God. If you say it, you'll do it. The same kind of hope that you have. But the world is a disaster. What are we going to do? Everything looks like it's going bad. And we go, no, 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 no. We hope in Jesus Christ. That's the belief and the faith. And when we do that, what's accounted to you is righteousness, God's righteousness. In the same way, Abraham is the father of faith. Both Jew and Gentile come to God the same way Abraham did, through faith, through believing that God will do what he said he's going to do. If Abraham had a resume, if he had followed all the law and been perfect, he would have been able to show God his resume, and he would have been justified by that. God would have owed it to him. That's not what happened. Abraham simply believed God, and God accounted righteousness to him. It's amazing. God didn't owe him anything. 
any more than he owes you anything. You're a sinner and a rebel. He's given to you freely by graciousness, his death and his resurrection for you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of you, that's pretty easy. <laughs> he knows you. He loves you. He knew you before you were ever thought of by your parents, before your grandparents, 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 grandparents. Before the beginning of the world, he knew you. He loved you. He created you for love. Even knew that you'd be a little bit of a disaster or a lot of a disaster. And the only way he could solve that was by solving it himself, by dying for you. Because otherwise, you're without hope. But we do have hope. As Abraham had a hope in this case, faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. It's a gift of God. Faith is not something on your resume. Like, oh, okay, well, if I have to have faith, then at least I did something, right? I had faith. No, you don't have a resume. Faith is not a work. You believe. You believe because God gives you the ability to believe. And it was his faith in Jesus Christ to come. Remember, through his seed, Christ was going to come and save the nations. It was Abraham's faith in Jesus Christ to come that saved him. For us, it's our belief that Jesus Christ has come and will come again. Believe in the hope that God has given us. Believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Believe that God will do what he says he will do. That's faith. It's not a work. It's belief. That's how Abraham was saved. That's how every Gentile is saved. That's how every Jew is saved. For those of you who don't know who Gentiles are, everyone who's not a Jew. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, just so you know. I'm using that term and I didn't define it. There will be no one in the kingdom of God who won his or her freedom or justification by bringing up enough affirmative defenses or by showing a good enough resume. Not one. Not one will be there who says, well, you had to get here by the cross. I got here because I was really good. Or I convinced God that I had a good enough excuse. There won't be a single person there. Of the hopefully billions and billions and billions of people who are there, not one of them will be there in that way. Every person in the kingdom will be there by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, period. There is no other way. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 6. We're just going to go 6 through 15 here uh, because it's kind of bringing the same point to bear. Just as David, this is King David, also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? This is important. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? You know when it was accounted? Before he was circumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He wasn't following rules and laws and whatever when God accounted his faith as righteousness. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not of the circumcision. Oh, I'm sorry. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also 
but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I should have brought my glasses up here. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For of those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Abraham is the father of faith. He's not just the father of the Jews. He is the father of all of those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who is used as an example that when he believed God, righteousness was counted to him or imputed to him. In the same way we come to know Jesus. This is Paul showing the Jews and the Gentiles in this church, hey, all of you are sons of Abraham in the sense that you are children of faith. You're the sons and daughters of Abraham's faith. That's who we are. Abraham had no resume. You've got no resume. We've all sinned. We've all broken the law. We need grace because works didn't help Abraham and they won't help you. Let's finish this section for today. This is 4.16. I'm going to read through 5.2. Therefore, it's an important word in an argument, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. If it's by works, it's not grace, right? You, uh, it's owed to you. Grace is something that's not owed to you. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all, as we just said. He's the father of all those who have faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. That's where we are right now. Contrary to hope. The rest of the world doesn't have hope. Watch the news. Go talk to people. Hope is waning. But contrary to hope, in other words, to what we can see in hope, we believe in hope, what God has said. That is the faith the kind of faith that saves. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old. We just talked about that. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, no offense to Sarah, but at 90, that womb is dead. Then some old eggs, I'm just saying, right? It just is, 90 years old. You're like, oh, that's rude. No, it's, she's 90. Come on. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but, he, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Are you fully convinced that you are saved? That Jesus Christ was enough, is enough. It's a glorious thing. That's why he's giving glory to God. He's fully convinced. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. This is, this is the, the big one here. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. If you will believe that, if you will believe that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, 
that Jesus died for your offenses and was raised for your justification, proving with his resurrection the power to defeat sin and death and hell and that you no longer have to live in that but can live in spiritual life instead of death. If you believe that, that's it. That's the ball game because then God imputes his righteousness to you because your resume is terrible, but his is pretty great. And in that courtroom, instead of making excuses, as you're standing before God, you don't have to make excuses. You don't have to give a resume. You just, you just call out to Jesus, and God looks to him instead of you. His righteousness gets imputed to you because you believe. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. If you are not in Christ, you don't have peace with God right now. You are not at peace with God. You're an enemy. You're those, those for whom the wrath of God is being revealed. But you don't have to be. If you'll believe in Jesus, you'll have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm here because I rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and I want you to rejoice in hope in the glory of God. My love for you, my love for you compels me to tell you both that you are a sinner and that you have no excuses and that you have no resume, but also to tell you that you can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God if you will simply believe on Jesus Christ. Believe that he was raised from the dead in power for your justification, that he died on the cross for your offenses. I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to have the peace of God in a world that is so far from peaceful. It's an amazing thing when I can sit and just enjoy God with all the kinds of things that go on around me. And trust me, just like you, I got things that go on around me. I got stuff. I had hives for goodness sakes. <laughs> That wasn't even a thing. I've got stuff that goes on just like you do. And I can sit there and go, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can say all the things, all the promises God has given me, that all things will work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that Jesus is coming back, that he will make all things new. And I can believe those things and I can have peace because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. And I want that for you. That's the good news. But listen, you got to give up your excuses and your arrogant boasting. You do not deserve salvation and eternal life. You have earned death and eternal separation from God. That's what you've earned. If, God pay, if you get your paycheck, direct deposit, it's direct to hell. That's just the fact. If you get the paycheck for what you've done, it is by faith in Jesus Christ, it is a believing in God who raised his only begotten son from the dead that you're saved. And then you're not going straight to hell. Then you're going straight to the arms of Jesus. Not just when you die. Right now. Right now you can have his peace. Right now you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Right now you can be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your request be known to God. And what happens? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is your mind frazzled? Is your heart having a hard time? Make God 
your God. Make your requests known to him and then just trust him. Just believe in faith, in hope that he'll do what he says he's gonna do. It is by nothing else but Jesus Christ that you will be able to stand before God. You get his righteousness because his righteousness is the only righteousness there is. There is only one way. I understand that that's offensive to some people. But a lot of things that are true are offensive. In fact, it seems like most things that are true are offensive these days. John 14, 6. This is what Jesus said. This is what he said. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we may say, that seems very narrow-minded. Mm-hmm. All truth is very narrow. It's the only thing there is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Stop trying to find an alternate way. Stop trying to earn it. Stop making excuses. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's it. That's all there is. You can see now why progressive Christianity, which for those of you who weren't here for the White Lies series, which you can go back and listen or watch that. When I say progressive, I'm not talking about political progressivism. That's a different thing. Progressive Christianity uh, is a uh, form of what they would call Christianity that tries to destabilize the truth of the Bible. And you can see why now. You can see why. They've read Romans. <laughs> if you read the scriptures, all of your excuses and all of your works won't justify you before God. But people don't want that to be the case. They don't want to be held accountable to sin. They don't want to believe they need God for salvation. They want to be able to justify themselves. It's nice when God can be that person who on a nice sunny day, you can ride around and see the mountain and be like, isn't God wonderful, the things that he does? Very true. Very true. Unfortunately, that's not going to keep you from the nasty thing that you've done. You have to deal with that. They ignore the gospel argument that calls out sin, that tells us we're under judgment. They ignore the gospel argument that tells us that Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. They don't like that. They don't like that because they don't want to admit where they truly are. It's an unwillingness to see where you really are. And in all of that, then they get to just go with whatever the world says. They can believe because the Bible goes away and the gospel goes away. Do not go down that road. It is absolutely arrogance and unwillingness to show a real need before God. Every religion on earth, except for Christianity, claims and purports to show a path to heaven or to something like heaven that you can earn. All of them do. And it is all nonsense. By grace, through faith, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. Lest anyone would pull out their resume and say, look at all I've done. There are going to be those people who do that, if you remember in the scriptures. Oh, but didn't we do this and this and this and this in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Get away from me. What are you doing with your resume? Your heart did not believe. You did not do those things because you had faith in me. You thought you could earn this? Will not happen. You are not good. God is good. And because he's good, he makes you good. You need his goodness. And he has done everything to provide it for you. He has done things that he did not have to do. He has done things that I couldn't have done. To be a man, 
be a person, to grow up as a human in the first century with no air conditioning? I mean, you think about that for a minute. Why didn't he come back when there was air conditioning? He came and suffered for you and served and allowed himself to be murdered on a cross for you and then showed who he was by rising from the dead. We celebrate Christmas because of his incarnation. What a glorious gift. And we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because of his resurrection. What a glorious gift. What a declaration of the power of God that we can believe in and have hope. We love God because he first loved us. And we want to be with him forever. So, give up your attempts to earn salvation. Just knock it off. It's not going to work. Don't come to me with how good of a Christian you are. Come to me with how much you need Jesus. Then we can talk. If you receive a pardon, you've been convicted, you've been sent to prison, and the governor or the president or whoever pardons you, your reaction is celebration. Right? If your reaction is, well, I wasn't really that bad, or I was a pretty good person, so really I deserve that, you don't get it. This pardon comes because Jesus took your place. Live a life of celebration. Please don't walk around down in the dumps, Eeyore. Oh, bother. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that nonsense? Are you in Christ or what? Do you, were you saved from your sin? Do you understand who you were and who you are in Christ? Let's have a little excitement around here, right? Let's have a little excitement. And talk to your children, to your spouse, to your brothers and sisters, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers, to people on the street, to whoever you need to, because everyone needs to know this, the gospel. If you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You could do that today. Put down your affirmative defenses. Put down your boasting. Stop believing in the nonsense of the world. I almost said something there. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. God loves you. I love you. The people here love you. Believe in Jesus and live. Let's pray.